Welcome, everyone, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy. We've got a super interesting one for you today. It's me and veterinary technician extraordinaire Ann Wartinger sitting down, and we are talking about the four types of relationships that pet owners have with their pets. So we get into those, uh, break down what the four types are, what they look like. As soon as Ann started laying these down, I was like, yep. I have seen all of these. And it's just a neat way to segment those clients in your mind so you can understand what their relationship is. You can tailor your communication style to them. You can tailor your treatment plan presentation to them. You can help guide the care for that pet in the way that's going to be most effective in advocating for that pet. Totally worth the time, totally worth the energy. I hope this makes you think about the cases that you're seeing in the the clinic and how we approach those cases. Without further ado, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome, Ann Wartinger, to the uh, podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for asking me, Dr. Rourke. Oh, my my pleasure. So you are uh, you are well known in the veterinary technician community. Uh, you currently teach uh, at a vet tech program. Uh, you have not not one VTS, but three VTS uh, veterinary technician specialties. It's um, small animal internal medicine, emergency critical care and nutrition. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. That That's amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> And on two organizing committees, which when you're on an organizing committee, they say you have to be exquisitely qualified. So not only do you need to meet all the qualifications for any of the applicants, but instead of five years, it has to be seven years. You have to be published. You have to speak. All that fun stuff, too. I I have never been exquisitely qualified for anything (laughs) in my life. I have been twice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If someone was like, we need this burrito eaten. (laughs) as fast as possible, then I would be exquisitely qualified. Sure yeah. that, I got nothing. Um, well, so th- thanks for being here. You're doing, you do a, you do a variety of lectures. Uh, you've mm-hmm. published all over the place. You've got lots of articles. Uh, you've got some book chapters uh, and you speak uh, all over the place. I saw a, uh, a presentation that you were putting on called four relationship types clients have with their pets. Yes. And as a communication guy, that was really interesting to me. And, and I think that we, we all know that when we talk to clients, it's not a one size fits all conversation. People are different. And I've always, you know, I've always really tried to lean into that. I think there's some general approaches that we take to talk to clients, but everybody's an individual. Mm-hmm. And the more that you kind of recognize them as an individual and the more you can tailor your communication to that person, their values, their needs, their wants, their desires, their worldview, their self-identity, the more effective you can be. And so now we're kind of getting down in the in the weeds a bit. Yep. But I'm always looking for tools in my toolbox uh, to help me kind of sort people and spot kind of what they care about and how I might best approach them to advocate for their pet. And so uh, if you don't mind, can you go ahead and, and just lay down the general premise of the idea that there are different relationships that pet owners have with their pets? Sure. Um, there are three primary relationships that people have with their pets. Um, I think we all recognize the clients that have an anthropomorphic relationship or those that um, give their animals human feelings mm-hmm. and um, human understanding. Then we have integrated, which is usually a client who's got some scientific background, who 
views their animal as a pet, but it is a member of the family. And then we had chattel. Now, chattel relationships are usually, they have no emotions between the owner and the animal. Um, that doesn't mean that somebody else in the family or in the area does not have an emotional relationship with the animal. But these animals are seen as property. They are a tool. They are a way to get something done. Um, when we see this with guard dogs, we can see this with police dogs. Now, the police department will see this dog as a tool. The handler most likely has an integrated relationship with it. So mm -hmm. we can have mixed. Yeah. And it depends on, you know, what you're doing and who you're working with. Yeah. So that's that's the fourth type, right? Is mixed mm -hmm. is uh, is different, different feelings. So yeah, it's because it can't just be straight up simple in veterinary medicine. I can't. Well, but but our relationships with pets are complicated. And so mm -hmm. you talked a little bit about about mixed relationship being within an individual, meaning a person. No, within have... usually a family. Okay, usually each a family. person, um, though you can have people that are anthropomorphic. And um, those of us that have gone into veterinary medicine that have an anthropomorphic relationship, when we start facing burnout, um, our relationship type will change with our patients. And we may become more of a chattel relationship where we try not to get emotionally involved with our patients at all. Yeah. And that is a consequence that we are seeing more often with burnout in our field. Yeah. I've seen I've seen it go the other way with pet owners, right? I, I like we've all seen we've all seen kind of the the stoic guy who comes in who's kind of like, This cat's just a cat. And you say, Well, your cat's really sick, and he goes, Really? Yep. I mean, is, you know, like, like he, he had this idea oh, yeah. of like, you know, it's funny. We don't, you don't know what you got until it's gone or almost gone. Uh, you know well, what I mean? Um, and yep. I, I have seen, I've seen pet owners. I think that they were maybe, I, I don't know. I'm just guessing that they were maybe raised with the chattel sort of approach of, you know, pets live in the yard yep. and that's what they are. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing, nothing tighter than a family member who didn't want a pet and the pet after they got the pet. Uh, oh, those, you've seen pictures those... of my husband, have you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see the guy under the big cat. Well, no, him? the guy with three cats, four cats <laughs> on him every evening because we have two foster kittens. So this is one. This is Kevin. Oh, wow. Um, we've had them since they were four weeks old. And we have two of our adult cats prefer my husband <laughs> and we let the cats choose and they've got their spots on his chair and then the foster kittens come in they're like well we want in on this yeah that's funny i <laughs> let's let's go back to the vet side of this talk to me a little bit more about about burnout moving people between these relationships because when, when you said that i go oh my gosh i've totally yeah. seen that i have 100 percent seen the anthropomorph anthropomorphizing person uh, who just sort of detaches mm -hmm. a bit from uh, from the clients. I mean, we used to see this primarily in shelter medicine just because it's such high volume and high stress that the person that goes in, um, we call them puppy huggers, that mm -hmm. they go in and, oh my God, I love all the puppies. I love all the kittens. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then, you know, two, three, four years down the line, they're like, you know, just get them in, get them out don't have any relationship, don't remember the names of the animals, don't remember their history, they're just done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more you care, the more it hurts. Yeah, yeah. And well, you can only take so much before you just pull back and say, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. But maybe, maybe they're credentialed, maybe they're a veterinarian, they don't know they have another option mm -hmm. that 
Um, so they just leave the field. And I mean, we're seeing that in droves right now. Yeah. That they just get so burnt out from their level of care that they they just they're not animals anymore. They're just a means to an end. Right, I'm going to ask you a hard question here. Do you think that it may be detrimental to vet professionals to have an anthropomorphic view of patients? It makes it harder scientifically, I think, for us. Um, mm-hmm. Most of us are integrated. You know, we, we, we are looking for facts. We're looking for science-based evidence. Um, most anthropomorphic people are not doing that. Yeah. They are, um, anthropomorphic tends to be more feeling. So, I mean, this may be more of our receptionists, our assistants, um, but definitely there are people that make it through and get mm-hmm. credentialed and still have that, or, or you'll have what, you know, we're calling our soul animals. Mm-hmm. That there's one animal that you are exquisitely attached to, and you may not even realize the depth of your emotions until yeah. that animal becomes ill, or you are faced with, you know, a trauma of some sort. And I think we've all been there. Yeah, I agree. I I, I push a bit for the integrated mindset when I talk to, especially vet students and people like that. And I don't, I don't, I don't talk a lot about because it could be an unpopular opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do, I worry about the anthropomorphic people going, going into vet school is where I, I mostly interact with people. Um, it is, it is hard to have yeah. a deeply feeling uh, attachment to every, to every pet mm-hmm. and to keep doing this job again and again. And, and I know there are people with, with, stronger hearts than mine that that can that can do it but for me it's hard yeah for me part of part of wellness part of self-care self-care has been shifting to an uh sort of a the integrated idea of um you know i i i recognize the value of of this pet and the, and the value of this life and at the same time i can't i just can't live in that emotional mm-hmm. space uh it's it's too hard especially when i don't have any control about what the pet owner is going to do as right. far as the oh, care yeah. of this pet i you know and just um it's almost it's it's like um it's like it's, it, i i've been calling it i really like this the terms is why i want to talk about this uh but i have i've been using the term professional distance mm-hmm. and sort of talking to young doctors and sort of saying hey professional distance is a tool yes you know and you've got to be able to say i don't i don't have control over what this pet owner is going to do. Um, and and so as a result, I, I do kind of need to emotionally distance myself. Um, I have a friend, his name is uh, Dr. Phil Richmond. He does a lot of pos- positive psychology and he calls it, um, oh, what does he call it? He calls it, uh, oh, uh, he calls it cognitive empathy as mm-hmm. opposed to emotional empathy. Emotional empathy is like, I'm going to be emotionally here with you. And cognitive empathy is more like, I understand how you feel and I understand the importance, but I'm not emotionally right. coming to where you are. And, and so to me, that, that kind of fits with the integrated approach, or at least, at least what I've kind of picked up as a, as a sort of a, a self protection kind of mechanism <laughs> to get things well, done. One of the other factors of an integrated relationship is sometimes, um, especially with that, clients will set limits um, as to, you know, how much time or how much money or, you know, how many visits that they will um, do for this animal. And it may or may not be based on any fact. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're thinking we're going to do space for $50. Mm-hmm. And um, they set limits that we may or may not be able to meet. And, you know, it's when we have an animal that is 100% recoverable, but the owners won't spend that much money on them. Yeah. 
for whatever reason. Um, we, as we, as I told you before we started, we have chickens. Mm-hmm. One of our chickens got an eye injury back in our woods when she was about six weeks old. Okay. So she was blind in one eye. Eh, not a problem. Um, about six months later, her eye starts swelling and she can't close it. We're having problems. Okay. Yeah. Try to find a chicken doctor for an eye enucleation in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we went, um, had her enucleated. Uh-huh. My husband's family, when they think I'm the weirdest thing ever anyways, um, but I spent money, mm-hmm. like $500 money on a chicken. Yeah. But because she was injured as a chick, we were very emotionally invested in her. I mean, I was not, you know, I'd spend $500 to enucleate one of my cats. Yeah. Not a problem. Why wouldn't I spend that for my chicken? Yeah. That's okay. So that's interesting. Uh, you, this goes this goes a bit back to what you were saying about about vet professionals being more integrated at the workplace and then maybe more anthropomorphic at home. Uh, they can be. Yeah, I mean, I, I say I, I I look at my own relationship with my pet. I I he's my boy. Uh, you know, like <laughs> like and and my I I get I get very very attached to my dogs, and that's probably why I became a, a veterinarian. Uh, I would get attached to my cats uh, if I was allowed to have cats, but my wife is definitely allergic, and so to all the cat people who are like try the Purina Live Clear food. It is amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm an asthmatic. I've been an asthmatic for forty seven years, um, and. Four months after we started the food. So we got it when it first was released. Uh-huh. I was able to start my, stop my steroid inhaler, which Dirty. I had been on for 47 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And there we have go. four cats. So <laughs> and and I'm four, the one with the allergies. You had four cats before the diet came out, which means yes. that you were... you. I was on a steroid inhaler. Like, I've got rescue inhalers. I'm on oral meds. I've worked in veterinary medicine for 38 years. <laughs> like I'm, I'm struggling to breathe, but I'm, but I need another cat. Is that? Yes. That's not, it's, not, it's not that you had yes. a cat. You had four cats four and, uh, cats. and yep. a difficulty breathing. Yeah, I love. It. And we foster. <laughs> now the kitten, the kittens aren't on the adult food, so they tend to bother me a little bit more sometimes. That's but funny. So we still do it. So circling, so circling back. Uh, I very much have an anthropomorphic relationship with my pets. I I talk to them. I you know I ask them how they're doing. They have no monetary value to me. You know I I'm but going to do. You would what... not set a limit as to what you would be willing to invest in your pets. Well, that's now that's when we give wanted... clients estimates. You know we go in usually with a plan A, plan B, plan C, and with an anthropomorphic client, um, they will tell us to do anything. Do anything. They are not willing to pay for us to do anything because, you know, they want us to do it for a learning experience or as a research project or something like that. Integrated will usually have limits as to, you know, I can't pay more than a thousand dollars or three thousand dollars, whatever. Okay, so so let me say this back to you slightly differently. Right. So when we talk about chattel. You know, so this, this, there's not a, there's not an emotional attachment. Um, this kind of reminds me of sort of old school veterinary medicine where, you know, you were doing food animal medicine. You say well, this animal yeah, has it's a value. It's definitely for anybody who's raising livestock for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my chickens are living lawn ornaments. You know, they, <laughs> they have no intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, any of our large animal livestock producers, those are chatter relationships, but they will allow us to 
spend considerable amounts of money to save that LDA on a good producing uh, dairy cow. Right. That or, you know, the proptose uterus on, you know, one of the beef cattle that really drops nice looking calves Mm -hmm. that um, they will spend a lot more money than some of our other clients will. So, okay, so so with the chattel, you know, there there seems to be a they don't have an emotional attachment. And so the, those decisions are, are pretty much financial. The one I've heard mm-hmm. that is lunacy that I hear is something like, I spend $100 on this dog and that's as much as I'm going to spend now. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like there's right. no justifiable. No, no vaccines, no fecals, no nothing. Yeah, something like that. So that to me seems chattel. When you talk about the the integrated uh, uh, approach, so you talked about your 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 chicken with the eye problem, right? Mm-hmm. You clearly spent more treating this chicken than the street value of, of a chicken. Of the $3 chick? Yes. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Even if you factor in all the eggs, they're not paying for that she, eye at that, age, at that age, she was not producing even. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> massive. So, you're a great vet tech, terrible investor is what I'm yes. hearing. Yep. <laughs> well, um, I mean, there, there are pets. Um, for the most part, they're... They, they are outdoor animals. <laughs> yeah. We do not have indoor chickens. Um, but when I'm out in the yard, they're with me, seeing what I'm digging up, seeing what I'm getting mm-hmm. into. And for my husband, um, they're just entertainment in the backyard. Mm-hmm. So we do have um, more of an integrated relationship with them. Yeah. That they get warm, they get fecals. We buy good quality food. They have expensive housing. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like you, you do right. enjoy them. You enjoy their yep. personalities. It sounds like you're willing to go, you know, to go above and beyond to take care of them with the recognition that, and I don't know how to say this, that they are chickens. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and they have a, a relatively, you know, uh, limited lifespan. We I, were I just I talking, one of my hens we think is about six years old right now. Yeah. Eight is the longest I've had them. Right. So, so that that seems like a very fairly integrated approach with me, as opposed to the money is no object to everything. Right. Let's. I want to. I want to evolve this conversation a bit back towards communication in the exam room and talking to these people. And so, um, are there? And I'm sure there are, but but are there differences in how you communicate to people when mm-hmm. you are getting signs of these relationships? Yeah. When you're talking to somebody with an anthropomorphic relationship, um, they work better with simile. Okay. That if you are going in and saying, you know, we need to do an avario hysterectomy, and she's like, oh, my God, my friend had a, had a hysterectomy, and it was the worst thing in her life. And you're like, no. <laughs> we want to make sure they don't reproduce, and we go in very fact-driven, and these mm-hmm. people are very emotional-driven. And we have to figure out a way to get around that to get what the animal needs, which is what our big concern is, Mm -hmm. get what the animal needs and get the owner to understand that. That, you know, if we explain that Muffy, if she is not spayed, she can develop a pyometra. It always happens Mm -hmm. on the weekend or on holidays. Um, Or she could get pregnant. And because she's such a small dog, the pregnancy may be difficult and we don't want to contribute to more unloved animals in the world Things along that line, instead of just going in fact driven and saying, you know, this is what she needs. She's six months old. We're going to do it. Okay. Yeah. My my instinct is often to um, is to often try to counter with facts because it feels like it's bringing it down from an overly emotional place. And and, uh, uh, when I say that, what I mean is when the person comes in and they they have 
these great concerns, I want to try to use data to kind of bring them back down. But what you're saying is it's probably better to go and try to engage with them in that emotional language and help them sort yeah. of understand trying how to this get is going them to, okay. to to change what they are thinking. Um, I guess the biggest one we have is male owners and dog neutering. Okay. That, you know, trying to explain to those big biker dudes that their pit bull needs to be neutered, mm-hmm. um, especially if he's out running around the neighborhood. And they can come in very anthropomorphic. Mm-hmm. This, this is, you know, his bud. We do everything together. He's got goggles for the bike. Yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff. And you're like, yeah, and he needs to be neutered. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, you know, if we, we talk about, you know, pet overpopulation and unloved animals and not being able to take care of everybody, sometimes that will get us where we need them to go. Yeah. Does that makes sense? Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, that that definitely makes sense. I, I try to think back about conversations I've had that have been successful with these guys, and, and I think a lot of times, um, just uh, things like uh, things like like this will make the world easier and less frustrating for him. Mm-hmm. Things like things they kind of get that like, oh yeah, yeah. I can kind of see. And, and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, also other dogs are less likely to fight with him, uh, give mm-hmm. him a hard time. And, and and that kind of hits on that emotional thing of I don't want my buddy to have a hard time. They, really, what yeah. they're trying to do in their way is they they want their dog to have the best life, right? In, in their mind, as they understand it, because they are mm-hmm. anthropomorphizing. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, I've heard a lot of different you know explanations of neutering and kind of how you explain it. And I think the ones that kind of lean into the the simile, you know, the the here mm-hmm. here's a way to look at it that 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 these people will understand it in their own life. That's not data-driven, but helps them to kind of understand the experience of the pet. And so that that definitely makes sense. When my kids were younger, um, we brought home a cerebellar hyperplasia cat. We, I did. Um, she developed hyperplasia secondary to getting thrown out of a car on the highway. Okay. And my kids were very upset about her trauma. Okay. And I would always tell them that not everybody feels the same way that we do about animals and that our job was to ensure that she had the best life and she remembered none of this Mm -hmm. that she was young enough as a kitten um she she was found during a rainstorm on one of our um dug-in highways so you know they flood Mm -hmm. uh she was never comfortable with storms so whether that was something to do with that or her cerebellar you know input or exactly what but uh, we used to tease my oldest son that his first girlfriend was brain damaged in the wrong species because she thought he was all that and a bag of chips. Hey guys, I just got to jump in real quick with a couple housekeeping items. Number one on my list with big red underlines under it, registration for the April Uncharted Veterinary Conference is open. It is not like anything else that is out there. It is, oh, it is, it is energizing it is motivating it is inspiring it is fun it will get you fired up about your career and your practice again this year's conference is all about running smoother simpler more enjoyable and rewarding practices that's what it is you're like i'm not a practice owner if you are a leader in practice you see yourself as a leader if you plan to be a leader in the future this conference is for you come and be a part of it check out the link it's in the show notes learn more about the Uncharted Conference, I would love to have you there. Second point of order, over on the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast front, uh, my friend Stephanie Goss and I get into a brand new uh, podcast topic. We're talking about finding the perfect job. 
we had someone write and they're like, hey, I just, I'm getting ready to look for a job and I have no idea what to look for and I don't want to end up in a toxic dump and I want it to be terrible and I don't want to be awful or horrible decision that I've made that I'll regret for the rest of my life. What do I do? And Stephanie and I unpack that. So if you were thinking about, hey, I, uh, I'd like to maybe get another job at some point, that's the episode for you. If you're thinking, hey, I'd like to hire somebody and I would like to do the things that Andy Rourke is telling people that they should look out for in a good practice, you might also want to listen to the episode. Anyway, guys, that's over there on the Uncharted Podcast. It is free as always. Get it wherever you get your podcast. Get it wherever you got this podcast. Let's do it right now. Let's get back into this episode. So let's let's shift over and look at the integrated uh, relationships. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So appro- approaching them versus the uh, versus the anthropomorphic. You're usually going to be able to go in with your facts. You know, if you stick with the spay and neutering that you know prevent pyometra, prevent unwanted pregnancies, prevent mammary cancer, and you know if you want to throw in statistics, you can throw in your statistics. Um, sometimes we have tend to tended to undervalue our services. Mm-hmm. So when we give them a $300 quote for a spay, um, sometimes they have a problem with that. And then, you know, we can go in and say, well, we've added in extra monitoring because that's important. We do yeah. pre-blood work so that we can detect anything. It isn't just the put them on the table anymore. Yeah. As you're, as you're saying this, I'm thinking about all the times that I've seen uh, people use that exact language with your anthropomorphic clients and how it doesn't go well. No, you know, and it's when, not. When they, they would pay uh, the $300, no question. But mm-hmm. if you say, and we're going to have monitoring the entire time that they're under anesthesia, we're going to put an IV catheter in just to make sure that there's not any problems, that would go over much better than even doing a monetary breakdown on it. Yeah. So yeah. that they know that we're taking care of, you know, Fluffy and we're we're keeping her warm. We're going to have a blanket inside the cage and one on the table. Those are the sort of things that's going to make a difference for the anthropomorphic. Yeah, it's very funny that we when we talk to clients, often we, the conversations look a bit similar from the outside. But in some cases, we're having a justify this price conversation. Oh, and yeah. in some cases, we are having a help me understand uh, and make me feel safe conversation. And it's, a, we've all gotten those conversations wrong, meaning I thought we were having a justify the price conversation <laughs> and we're not. Or I thought we were having a make me feel safe conversation and this person is like, no, I just don't understand why an IV catheter costs $65. And you go, oh. um, I think one of the advantages of having a technician go in and give estimates instead of doctors mm-hmm. is we get less of the justify the price or yeah. they think they can wheedle the price different with a doctor than they can with a technician. Totally. But technicians are better at presenting those things, um, I think, than a doctor is. Doctors yeah. are so fact-based, and not that technicians aren't, but we can bring it down to the client level. Um, I think we can switch gears a little quicker. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And I have seen that again and again, uh, technicians being better than doctors at presenting Prison estimates as as a, as a sweeping as a sweeping rule, yeah th- that yeah that that definitely makes that makes sense to me as well. I have also found that the 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 doctors kind of have the power to make the changes on the fly, and so they go, well, maybe you know maybe we don't need this monitoring. The technician would never say, <laughs> maybe we don't need this monitoring. You know, uh, and also I would point out the fact that doctors can say maybe we don't need this mo- need this monitoring doesn't mean that they should. Um, right. But I, as a as a softy who uh, wants. Uh, clients to like me, I have battled that 
urge and impulse my entire career. Yeah, I mean, we we know what we need, but we also we know what the animal needs, and we will put usually what they what's to their advantage over what's to our advantage. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, and then uh, tips for communicating with the chattel people. Everybody wants hey, to know. It's just straight up facts that you know um, we have because uh, Detroit is a border city. Uh, we would deal with the um, border dogs. Mm-hmm. And you you have to get the permission from the department. And all they want is the numbers. They mm-hmm. have a chattel relationship. And then you've got this big, strong TSA guy who's worried about his dog that's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe blown an ACL or whatever. And if we can tell the department that we can get this dog back to full function in six weeks with a surgery, they'll sign off on it. Yeah. And, you know, the handler is not the one paying for this. This is the department. The handler is going to be doing all the work. And that's who we're going to talk to as far as animal care. So that one dog has two different relationships attached to it. And we see that often in, you know, our police dogs. And I'm sure, you know, most any clinic deals with their local police force that has any dogs component to that. But we also get the airport dogs, the border dogs. Yeah. campus dogs, all sorts of things. Yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense. One of the things that I think is really interesting is when you have that mixed relationship inside the family. Mm-hmm. I um I tell a story. I had this uh I had this Boykin Spaniel, which is the state dog of South Carolina, and uh and it came in. Uh, I saw it just like once a year for a couple of years, and every time it would come in, this guy would bring it in, and it always had nasty ear infections, and it had you know it had fleas, and it had spaniel missing ears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, had, it totally had spaniel ears. Um, and it just it always smelled. It just had a yeasty smell all the time. So every time I saw it, it was just kind of a hot mess. And I would I would argue with the guy, try to get him to try to <laughs> try to get him to to clear this up. And he never seemed mm-hmm. all that interested. And then, and then one day I come in uh, to see him for his annual appointment, and there's this guy, and there's this young lady who's with him, and she has a big rock on her finger and she says, I want you to clean this dog up so he doesn't stink. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and, you know, and um, and she was like, just do everything. But I just, I don't want to live with a stinky dog. I want this dog to be clean and well taken care of. And she was ready. And we cleaned that. We got that dog's ears under control. We got that dog's skin under control. That dog went on regular flea and heartworm prevention and stayed there. And I wanted to take the lady aside when her uh, fiance <laughs> wasn't around and be like, you can't leave this man because this dog will suffer if you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, he will, this dog will go back into neglect. And so, but you better believe that every communication that I can have thereafter is going to loop her in as much mm-hmm. as possible. I don't want to talk to the guy about what we should do because I, I, I know what that guy's behavior is going to be. He's definitely more in the chattel camp and she's definitely more yep. in the at least integrated to possibly anthropomorphic camp of this is now our family dog. And that means something. And mm-hmm. um, so, so it's just... for the dog. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. It, yeah. It, that dog won the jackpot when that guy proposed. So, but yeah, it's just interesting. You see those relationships. And a lot of times, I think to your point at the very beginning, when we start talking about uh, this sort of the mixed, mixed relationship, the person making the financial decisions in the family may very well not be the person who has the actual, you know, loving relationship with that yep. pet. And so expanding the people in the conversation can be really valuable uh, for us. Yeah. I mean, we see sometimes with, um, especially families with small children, you know, children kind of suck everything in. 
mm-hmm. and you don't have any time or feeling left. And you'll have people move into a child relationship when their children are small. The children are very anthropomorphic because, mm-hmm. you know, they're living in rainbow bright and all that. Mm-hmm. And the parents may only do something for the child's benefit rather than the animal's benefit. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's 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 really is about sort of in those cases trying to understand the values mm-hmm. at play here. Um and it, you know, I, I I coach I coach doctors sometimes in exam room communication and say, you know, one of the tricks is to not always talk about what you think is most important. It's to try to figure out what they think is most important and then talk to them about that. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about the kid's dog, um, you know, my tendency is to talk about the damage that intestinal parasites can do to a poor dog. Yep. Uh, it, it's probably going to be a lot more effective for me to talk about the risk of internal parasites around mm-hmm. children. And yeah, how give we that need... little capsy handout. Yeah, there you go. And that, that but that, but that's exactly it, right? Um, it's it, it really started understanding the value system of the per- person you're dealing mm-hmm. with, and and just try to put it in language that they understand, and that's going to make its way up their priority list, and their priority list may be very different than yours and mine. And the you know, when, especially when we're dealing with young adults, they may have been raised in a different setting. You know, maybe they yeah. were re- raised in a chattel family. And then they grow up and they're like, wow, this animal is really amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they never did vaccines and they never did fecals. And we only saw the vet to have them euthanized. And how can we change that? Yeah, I think that that's, I think that's a period of time we're sort of been going through in vet medicine. I I wonder if we're coming out the other side there, you know, it used to be, you know, jump back 30, 40 years ago, pets were outside and that's just what they were. They were, they stayed in the barn, they stayed outside. And then in the last 30, 40 years, they, they have moved inside, but it's been at, at different speeds. And there's people who were really late mm-hmm. to that. And there's people who were at the beginning of that. And I, I feel like the the young generation of pet owners we see today mostly had pets inside, you mm-hmm. know, a, as opposed to the older generation. So we get to, you know, we should get to navigate that with people as they sort of start to expand their relationship. And it's just, well, I don't know, it's, it's interesting. With, with the declaw debate we're having right now, mm-hmm. oh, we've, all of our cats have always been declawed. Yeah. But this is what research is showing us. And, you know, the arthritic changes that we're seeing and the changes in um, posture and gait and, you know, how many, if so, if, we think they're integrated, we can throw all that data at them yeah. instead of just saying, you know, this is painful and, you know, there are other things we can do to, you know, you don't even know if the six weeks old kitten is going to tear up your couch. Yeah, that's and that's a that's a great point. It is those chattel uh, relationships when it comes to declawing that make veterinarians want to pull their hair out. Uh-huh. It's the people who say, well, you, you, he's not going to tear up my leather couch. And you mm-hmm. say that has not been an issue. You know, there are, there are things we can do about that. But they they do a math, a math equation of kitten worth less than couch uh, or worth less than furniture. And, and and it's very hard if they won't listen to the data on on pain and long term problems with declawing and they don't have that anthropomorphic view or we can lean into the pain and discomfort of the procedure yep. uh boy that that's the only time that we end up in these in these situations and it can be it can be hugely frustrating yep especially when you've got a client that's very insistent and is used to having their way yeah. and they're used to bullying people to get what they want and they'll start at the receptionist and just work up the line yeah yeah it's true it is true well um 
one of the one of the things I think is also changing in our profession, I think is really good is, uh, you know, we've the pandemic has been a challenge for a lot of practices. And, and we do, as you said, have a lot of burnout. And I think we're seeing seeing more of that. I am I'm a perpetual optimist. And <laughs> I, I, I think that um, I think that a lot of us have been pushed to the point of making some boundaries that we yes, are and I long think that, overdue making. Yeah, especially um, for technicians that, mm-hmm. you know, don't call me on the weekends, don't call me after hours. You know, this is um, when I was working in practice, I had an hour to an hour and a half drive each way. Mm-hmm. And that was my decompression time that I had no kids, I had no intercoms, I had no doctor. I could listen to what I wanted to listen to. By the time I've got home, I had transitioned to, you know, homework and dinner and all that stuff that um, actually the drive was not a bad thing. If I had only Mm -hmm. lived 20 minutes from home, I would have had a much harder time um, transitioning and making sure that, you know, I was not still in tech mode when I got home. And could, you know, be the parent that the kids needed at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm talking a lot these days about what I call uh, practical boundaries for busy practices. And, you know, let, letting people be off and enforcing their off time, I think, is a, is a boundary that, that, has, that has, it's time has come. You know, it's, I think it's setting boundaries with clients, too. You cannot expect to walk in and be seen every day. Yeah. You cannot expect, you know, maybe we were able to do this before. Um, I haven't been, you know, I adopted a pandemic kitten, one of my foster fails. And um, I have not been in the clinic for any of his visits, but I send his distraction mat. I send his churros with him. They get a note. They get an update. And, you know, that's just what they have to do. And this is a doctor that I've worked with over 10 years now. And that's how she's running her practice. And it's like, that's fine. If that's what you need to do, then that's what we will do. Yeah. No, I, th- I, I think that that's where we're going. But a lot of clients are having problems with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's, it's going to. Well, that's why I wanted to talk about this or the relationship types, anything that helps us sort of communicate yeah. with these people and find out what they sort of care about so we can get to it. And again, I, I can empathize with the pet owners as well and say mm-hmm. it's frustrating, especially if you if your pet has an ear infection and someone says to you, you're going to have to wait three hours to get in, mm-hmm. you know, and, and get seen. And you go, well, I, I got to go to work. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got my kids at school and I got to pick them up. I, 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 I don't think the answer is throwing away empathy for the pet owners, but I, but I do think that, that we do need to set some boundaries and say to the people, this is what we can do. And this is how mm-hmm. we can help you. And we need to be creative so that we can help people. But, um, but just uh, letting clients kind of, come in and have whatever they want and do whatever they want and we'll just suck it up or we'll stay late or mm-hmm. we'll pull people in on their day off. I think those things need to be off the table. Yep, I agree. Cool. And where can, uh, where can people find you? Where they can where can they read their articles? Um, where can they uh, connect? I do have a LinkedIn page, but uh, not real active on it. <laughs> that um, I'm speaking at uh, the Ontario Association of Veterinary Technicians and what's the other one? I just, Washington State. Uh, Vet Tech Association. So Washington State is going to be live. Ontario is virtual. And even for U.S. residents, 
um, the Ontario conference is one of the better ones that is presented and it's presented by technicians. Yeah. Let me, let me jump in here as well and say, uh, I love the Ontario Vet Tech Association. Oh yeah. They do such a good job. I have been to a couple of their events and they are always well done and they are just a well-organized, just passionate group of technicians. And so, well, yeah, and they're if one it's of a the self-governing groups of technicians. So, um, the provincial government, all the licensing, all the credentials, all the renewals, all the CE is done through the tech association. Yeah, if uh, if they if they're having virtual events, uh, other other technicians should take a take mm -hmm. a look just because they really do great work. Guys, yeah. thanks a lot for being here, and thank you so much for taking time. Thank you. And that is our episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. As always, the best, kindest, nicest thing you can possibly do for me, if you like the episode is to leave an honest review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast episodes. Uh, it's how people find the show. It gives me some uh, guidance about what, what people like. Uh, it just, and it keeps me encouraged to keep doing the episode. So uh, I really appreciate it. Guys, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.